Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Today, we talk about a legend. Legends aren't always good people. Uh, we're talking about George Remus today. Bootlegger extraordinaire. Are you looking for some Jay Gatsby? Because Fitzgerald had to base that on somebody. There's a lot to get to, so buckle up as we talk about crime, corruption, and bootlegging. And while we're at it, have a drink. Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Hey, hey guys. Hey. Hi. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Oh. Existing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, you know, every every time we do the show and we're like, oh, how are you? I really get that quote of like 2021 is just 2020 with bangs in my head every single time. <laughs> well, we attempted you know. to have a nice St. Patrick's Day because St. Patrick's Day happened in the in-between. Uh, okay. Mm. I literally had no idea until someone said, today's St. Patrick's Day. And they went, I was like, oh, I didn't know. Well, you're wearing green. Today's my green shirt day. <laughs> Wednesday's green shirt day. To be fair, we didn't have a St. Patrick's, like, uh, uh, you know, we usually plan an episode around it. And this time we didn't. So that probably messed all of us up. <laughs> That no, that wouldn't have taught me anything. <laughs> We'd be sitting here going, still having the same conversation, going St. Patrick's Day was on Wednesday, and we're talking about it now. True. We need to be a, a week early. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and just how it fell this year. So yeah, we um, we took the day off, the both of us dropped uh, dropped the youngin off at daycare and went out to have some kegs and eggs, and we were gonna have a few drinks and a nap and. Just enjoy some time not at work and not being parents. <laughs> I I couldn't tell you how jealous I was seeing just some of those pictures just going like I didn't see them till like the next day. Yeah. Just being like, oh Well hold your jealousy because <laughs> No no, I also know about that. I still would have been fine. We just made it would have been a better day. Ten thirty. About I was three drinks deep and considering getting a fourth one before I was, we moved on. I was on. good and buzzed. And then her phone rings. And <sighs> the daycare saying to come and pick up Emmett because he has diarrhea. Mm. <laughs> they like, wanted <sighs> they wanted to go for kegs and eggs as well. And so every parent got that call. Oh, there were multiple parents say... <laughs> showed up while we were there to pick him up. But I was just like, they were like if they had not called within that like five minute window they did it would have been a no he's there we've got to go home drink water and nap 
<laughs> like, we're not okay to drive, guys. Thanks. I was like, I they were five minutes away from us going, sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> we pay you. <laughs> You're just going to have to hold him for now. <laughs> Don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah, when I was, I was thinking when I, when I saw that, it was just like, hmm. Still, still would have been better. I was hmm. the only way it actually happened was because I opted to get the full Irish breakfast, mm. and the the food there was pretty good. So for the first time, pretty rocking. We've lived here for like two years, <laughs> yeah, and we finally went to the the brewery that's literally within walking distance of us, and it was great. Um, Do beers, they normally well have the uh, full Irish? No. What was the was the, the, the was for that day? Yeah. The beers there was were a not specific, great. not even, not even, uh, uh, um, the potato one. Oh, well, n- no, the hollow notes one. No, it was oh, watery. No, that was bad. The, 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 oh. the it was a Bach that tasted like a Pilsner. I was just like, what the it didn't... F is this? <laughs> See, I, and I had, I had great puns with that. Holland goats. It I mean, made yeah. your you bleats come true. Yeah, it's it, there. Yeah. You know, it's never ending, really. Uh, and I, I took a big sip, and I was like, "There's no body to this." I was like, "What?" It did not this? taste like a Bach, first of all. Uh, and all all of the stuff on their their tap list, like the words shouldn't have no gone sense. together. <laughs> it's kind of like one of the new, the news stories that we uh, covered this week. But uh, like, so one of the ones that I got was a um, double IPA barley wine. That's all one thing. <laughs> that was a single beer. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, "Those." You the sure they words didn't like cuvee that? No. I don't even. Instead I mean, of, it was. It tasted good. Instead of being a hoppy <laughs> barley wine, it was a double IPA barley wine. It's like, um. Wait, what? Yeah, I. But yeah, I, I mean, it did, did do the job of like if you're going there to get a little trashed. But Good it also, didn't it also have like honey and something else in it. No, that was a different one. Oh, that was my second drink. <laughs> yeah, we were both a few drinks in by the time. That makes me mad. <laughs> the okay. the double IPA barley wine. Right. Because like yeah. all, the, all the nonsense that it it's is. either one or the other. Like they are very similar beers. And if you're yeah. going to go that route, then then I, not that feels like style. It feels like you're just covering your bases at that point. You've made beer, but you didn't make it to a specific style. And so you're just... Which is fine, but, but you're look, not... there's nothing wrong with making beer and not following a style. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you're going to call it something... it could They could have intended one style, came out leaning more towards the other, so they said, F it, just call it both. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. But, uh, it's almost like I... calling... It's almost like calling something a hazy, clear beer. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, what I the first one I had was their like the signature beer from the brewery, uh, Man on the Moon. That move. was good. Yeah, there is just it's a, a milk, milk stout. It's a milk stout, and it was good and malty. And I was like, no, I've been missing out on having this one. And the St. Patrick's Day beer they had was Scarlet Potato. <laughs> or P potato, but like it was potato was the last name. A red ale you know? brewed with potatoes. It was all right. I mean, I was like, eh. St. Patrick's look, Day, it's fine. They didn't dye it green. That's I'll give them that. Yeah. But look, I love potatoes more than I love 
you know, people in my family. Um, but I don't want it in beer. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have people in your family if it weren't for potatoes. <laughs> you wouldn't have a family. You wouldn't do anything. Uh, yeah, I mean... Genetically, it wouldn't. I would not exist. Mm-hmm. Well, no, technically, I would exist if there were no potatoes because that's how they got here. <laughs> they all fact little, little fact. sooner. Fair. <sighs> but other the... than other than the, that, uh, you know, attempted vacation day that went a little awry. Second time for Brittany this year. <laughs> this She's tried to take a day vacation that I'm day. Just, like, I'm going to take a day for myself. And, and then, then he it didn't gets work sick, out. and it's like, nah. <laughs> but other than that, um, I am starting my new position on Monday. And uh, Friday was my last day at my at my seven years in my current in my department. And I'm like, oh. You, were you walking around just like singing, I will remember <laughs> you? Uh, I, it, was, it was bittersweet. Um, you know, I, there's... There's a lot of things I'm not going to say right now, but it's uh, it, it's going to be weird too because I'm I'm going to get to work from home until like uh, June, I think it is. So we're uh, both going to be working from home. Yeah. So I, the it's two days be interesting. we've the two days we've done it didn't really work out. <laughs> we learned we have to do it in separate rooms. They almost <laughs> ended in fights. <laughs> and then, like, we, we can't we can't be here working and not and be in the same room. To be fair. I suggested immediately for you to set up in the other room. You did. You did. And you were like, no, it'll be fine. And you set up in here, and it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, it, it did not. Uh, but yeah. Uh, it's like a call center basically, sort of situation. So like, oh, Two I'll people talking like, at once. It, well, and just, it was more like we have different routines, and uh, you know, they just kind of clashed a little. A disagreement on background noise. Yes. Uh, picturing but, one of you like throwing down boxing gloves like no or like hockey gloves like no it's Don it's on like Kong <laughs> <laughs> eh, not quite that bad but yeah um, but yeah I, I'm gonna be and I'm gonna have like normal people hours which is weird and so I'm gonna get to like start working out again in the morning which is amazing no more like <laughs> having to be on the clock because there's no on the clock for you anymore. Right, yeah. I, someone someone kissed hourly goodbye. It's gonna be bananas for me. Going to that sweet sweet salary life. I had to be. I had to ask Just, my my new boss like, so, what do I? This 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 I you start? can faintly hear. <laughs> it's like, this is the sound of Brittany making it rain <laughs> on salary. No, that is not the case. But I, I just, there's a lot of change. My version's funnier. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's at least a positive in our life right now. Um, how are you guys doing? <laughs> I'm alive. Casey, how are you doing? Swell. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, normally. <laughs> just great. I was just going to transition right to the next section. I wanted, just I wanted uh, Casey to lean in and do the Bruce Willis. <laughs> like I don't from, know. From Fifth Element. How he's just always giving the one word. <laughs> when they're doing the radio uh. show. <laughs> No, it's been a while. Actually, it's not been a while. I watched the very last. What's (laughs) it's like? How are you feeling? And he's like, thrilled. Oh, (laughs) that's it. It just like echoes (laughs) the one word. It's like you and two other people were on the same wavelength and yelling at the the podcast. Yeah. 
<laughs> Look, one of them might have been here, but, you know, I don't want to step on toes. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, well, you know, you, you, you've got a lot of stuff going on trying to get the... We, we've mentioned this in the show now, right? Like, you've got the second. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's, we're, we're it's far enough along now. I'm not spoiling anything, but there's another. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, it is. It is moving along. Hopefully this week we'll have plumbing and electrical that come by and actually put the stuff together. Um, after this week, also, hopefully we've got a license to brew in the new location. Cause I have a strong feeling that we are going to be running out of beer soon. So, um, <laughs> just watching that, uh, it, it, house bill 15, uh, or sorry, Senate bill 15 got passed in the state of Kentucky this, and, and so, um, the governor signed it, I think yesterday, but anyways, what that means for us is we'll be buying in kegs of other Kentucky people's beer just to try to supplement our tap handles until <laughs> we can get back to brewing more beer. Fun. Oh, <laughs> well, it'll be but hey, it'll be fine because that's fun. Mm. Yeah, and that's I mean I mean that's kind of how we're using it is it's a celebration of all these other Kentucky breweries um, in celebration of uh, Senate Bill 15. By the way. Um, I will say, was it? It was last week when you guys were down there, right? Uh, Chris yes. and Brittany were down near near Casey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I guess it was Sunday. It was my day off, and I am. Oh yeah. I'm like, very... yeah. I'm like, like I I literally hit. It was like I'm just gonna I'm gonna watch this, and I had nodded off for like an hour. And I wake up and I look at my computer and it's still playing whatever video I had up. And I can see in the corner of my screen a message from Brittany that just says, there's some beer at your door. And I went, what? How? What? Where? What? When? And I was like, I we get out. I look out there. And I just kicked the door open. Oh, no, it's like, fine. Put it down and ran away. No, you're fine. I, I was like, I just stopped. And I was like, they're probably in a hurry. But also, like, did I? How deep was my coma? <laughs> How deep was my coma? Do, do. He broke in uh, the house. <laughs> and I, you were asleep. Honestly, so he just he, left. Yeah. Well, uh, they have the door to their front landing that isn't locked. So it's like you don't go, you don't enter well, the property. It will be <laughs> now. Someone asked me, uh, they were like, how? How come you don't lock your, you know, how come you don't have a gun in your house? And I was like, because I, I, I live too many floors up. It's with no elevator. It's too much work to try to rob me. It is. Mm. It, it, you could do it, but it would be so much work that you're like, there's so many other people you could hit. You, so yeah. you could hit everyone below me before you get to me. And you're like, yeah. whatever. No, never mind. If you went all the way up there, like you, there had to be something you were directly after. It was the, it's, it's the thing where you're like, no, well done. I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Bob I'm not saying I don't lock my doors, after. but it's just like they're like, why don't you like you know you need protection, right? <laughs> what like a condom? No, I'm fine. <laughs> Awful bougie. I, I, I ain't seeing nobody. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. We got a lot of episode to get to. Uh, yeah. There would once upon a time, Chris. I think if I remember, we used to have a segment that went here. 
we used to have a whole news segment uh, where we'd we'd muscle in about three news stories. And I want to say that the episodes used to be longer then, but they were probably in reality shorter. <laughs> now we just get real mouthy and <laughs> drone. We on had three-hour episodes. Now we just get angry. Yeah. Now on some things. Now news has its own show, and uh, you can go check out this week's news episode, where some very infuriating and sad things happened. <laughs> Let's start before we before anything trails off. Uh, pour one out for our homie. Mm. Uh, you need to go check that out. The one of the most influential people in wine has passed. Mm. Yeah, uh, and it's a, it is lost. a big name, and it's a uh, like it. We lost we, we lost Steven Spurrier, and he was he was a treasure, and he he will be missed. And yes, uh, I believe he was at the very by, least for for putting your you know thumbing the nose at. Uh, yeah, he, he was French played by Alan Rickman, who is also passed. Oh yeah, <sighs> just so tragic. And also, Both. we still need to have that watch party. Yeah, but we watch Hans Gruber drink wine. <laughs> and then okay, let's but in just... ridiculous news, we had uh, Ballast Point being dumb. And uh, Capri Sun record drinking, because why not? Here because we are. if you decide to look at Guinness World Records and find something that's not in there, you're just dumb, and anyone else needs to actually practice and dethrone this guy. <laughs> I, um, I'm, I, look, there's going to be the Rocky montage happening in this apartment. Can we I'm do be, an adult be, Capri Sun and have it be uh, bags of wine? I'm like slap the I'm bag. Gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to drink. Uh, I'm going to drink eggs through that tiny Capri Sun straw <laughs> just to get ready for it. Raw eggs, just drinking in there. I'm going to eat lightning and crap thunder. <laughs> I <laughs> got to eat lightning and crap high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> oh, God. He's going to do the best Burgess Meredith that I don't have. I don't have that level of Burgess Meredith where like gonna eat crap, gonna eat lightning and crap thunder, <laughs> eat crap and <laughs> and crap lightning. We're already starting off on such a good foot. All right, on on that note, we do have a topic. Well, let's hopefully. When the going gets tough, you don't want a criminal lawyer, right? You want a criminal lawyer. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thought that was fitting. Uh, that's uh, that's from one of the seasons of that show I've watched. <laughs> from the first season. I know. I watched like three, and then I realized <laughs> that they were going to try to make Gus lose, and and that man was a professional and didn't. You didn't finish Breaking Bad? Oh, I, I look. It, I'm watching like the I was watching the Freeform season where they didn't plan anything, and it was really getting to me. Oh. Uh, you so our, our we'll, topic today. We'll talk about it later. Is George Remus, and I think it works on multiple levels because George Remus could be the original Breaking Bad because it's the story of a man who saw <laughs> his chance and he saw a, a need that needed to be filled. That's not. And he the... saw how he worked into this puzzle and how he could do it better than everyone before him. Hmm. Maybe maybe that part. Okay, let's let, let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do a 
little little preamble before we actually get to some some actual history. December thirty first, nineteen twenty one. George Remus was once again playing host to over three hundred of Cincinnati's most powerful and influential people at the lavish New Year New Year's Eve party at his mansion dubbed the Marble Palace. People were entertained by a fifteen piece orchestra and vats filled with ice vats of ice filled with bottles of liquor. The orchestra fell silent. Everyone's attentions had been turned to the swimming pool. The countdown had begun, and Imogene Remus stood atop the diving board in a silk robe, admiring the, cr- the gaze of the crowd. The custom-tiled pool was a birthday gift to Imogene that cost $150,000 at the time, which is about $2 million, uh, $2.1 million today. Uh, $2.2, actually. Uh, she was sure to have everyone's attention as Imogene disrobed, revealing a, a nearly see-through bathing suit that was purposely too loose at the top to, ca- to cause her to reveal herself to the crowd. At the stroke of midnight, she dove. The sight of her climbing from the pool must have been one of the most scandalous things even the audience had ever seen. She was tended to by a team of servants climbing after the, uh, after the climbing and from the pool and being toweled off. Their cl- the crowd picked up their jaws from the floor as they noticed George Remus had taken up at the post above the do- atop the diving board. His vo- uh, he raised his voice to announce that the, all the men of the party would be receiving a diamond stick pin as a gift. and all- Also, the women would find a set of keys to their next dinner plate that would start a brand, uh, start a brand new luxury sedan awaiting them outside. Over the cr- roar of the crowd, someone shouted, Jump! as a man to give the... Uh, and and as always, a man to give the people what they wanted, George leapt into the pool in a full dress suit. Tales of parties of grandeur at the Marble Palace were not hard to come by, and were usually covered by the local papers. is isn't hard to see. How many people have come to speculate that George Remus was the inspiration for F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby? So that is, uh, I will put that to rest now. There's a huge contentious point as to whether or not Remus was. <clears throat> and Gatsby... Fitzgerald was writing Gatsby just after the height. So like after this New Year's Eve party, roughly after that is when he had started writing Gatsby. So take it how you want, whether or not like he had heard he is, of what he was is going part on. Of the, he is part of the tapestry. Yeah. I'm assuming there might've been other stories, but that's, that's part of what makes yeah. the decadent lifestyle of, there were points between the two. That's uh, Gatsby had a, uh, I want to call it like persnickety part, and Remus was very much not that. While Remus kind of flaunted his wealth, he was a man of the people. Like, he was a folk hero until the end of the story. <laughs> like, the people loved him. He He did not lord it over people. And he, in fact, like helped the local community greatly the whole time we were talking about doing like this episode every time we mentioned george remus part of my brain flashes to uh 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 crap and my brains went to the wrong names of uh musicians uh paul and storm and uh their oh. their uh their nugget man song because i'm just like, like george remus died on a monday 
Oh, bourbon Except man, it's bourbon man. Bourbon man. <laughs> yeah. The cost of but those cars, assuming oh. the 300 people were there, were half female, every, every man had a date, means you've got 150 cars, average car, sedan, cost about $1,000 their dollars, which would mean $150,000. Which the math conveniently is they're already two point <laughs> two million dollars in today's dollars. Wow. It's, the uh, pool, however, is to be. It is also referenced uh, in Boardwalk Empire. I've not watched <clears> it at all. I, I didn't see the season. I saw like the first half of the first season, but uh, I never made it to whatever season where they introduced George Remus and they made him this like schlocky, almost comedy character. But he like braggingly mentions his indoor swimming pool, and to where Nucky's like, "How lavish!" <laughs> and uh, to go ahead and establish it, yes, Remus in his later years did refer to himself in the third person. Oh, Remus! Yeah, uh, but yeah, let's let's start uh, start diving in as we go through the early years. Where does our tale uh, begin? Well, George did not have access to uh, such luxury as we described growing up. Born on November 13th, 1876. Sorry, I don't know why I'm slipping into Civil War letter voice. Um, Dear Martha. Dear Martha. The beer here at the front is delicious. To be Um, fair, uh, a lot of the information on Remus does come from one of the greatest voices of the Civil War. So it's to be said because there's a great uh, the prohibition documentary on PBS. Really yeah, yeah, a lot of this info. Uh, born November, uh, born November thirteenth, eighteen seventy six, in uh, Friedberg, West Prussia. Uh, the family immigrated to uh, New York in eighteen eighty two, but didn't stay long. George's father Frank was struggling to find work and was slowly sinking into alcoholism. That's what we call foreshadowing. Uh, sorry. Uh, the family moved to Baltimore and Milwaukee in quick succession uh, before finally settling in Chicago by the time George was eight. At age 14, after watching his father fail to support the family for years, he took it upon himself to become the main supporter of the family by dropping out of school and taking a job at his uncle's pharmacy. Now supporting his mother, father, three sisters, he withdrew emotionally from his family and took more of a fatherly role. Uh, with his with, with withdrawal from the home life, George began to focus on work and push himself, enrolling in the uh, in pharmacy courses at night. He eventually passed the Illinois pharmacy examination when he was just 19 years old. Still two years away from being able to legally practice as a druggist, George took the most pragmatic route at route and lied to the licensing board about his age. Probably his hmm. first recorded crime. Uh, he had no need for rules and regulations that were illogical to him. Just two years later, in uh, 1870, uh, 1897, George would purchase a drugstore from his uncle with a loan of $6,000, end up paying it off in under two years. Always looking for an opportunity to make money, Remus took ten, a 10-month basic uh, optometry service course and passed the exam. You know, as we're going through this, I'm just wondering if it's like, catch me if you can. And it's like, how did you pass the Louisiana bar? You can take as many times as you want. You just, you know, I eventually just figured out the answers. 
the license enabled him to give patients an eye, exa- eye care and permitted him to call himself Dr. Remus. Uh, later, he admitted only wanting the title to lord it over his father for his failure. Hmm. I mean, sure. I wonder if other ophthalmologists uh, did it for other the similar reasons. <laughs> That's a deep Kentucky joke. If you're not if you're not aware, uh, in uh, in July 1899, wedding bells would ring for George as he married his first wife, Lillian. Uh, an accomplished pianist and music teacher after a brief courtship. Just just after nine months, uh, they would welcome a little girl, uh, Romola, to the family. She would go on to become a child actress in silent films, playing uh, cinema's first Dorothy Gale in the 1908 short film The Wizard of Oz when she was eight. Uh, Wanting more, Remus founded the SNS Drug Company, a wholesale drug firm, uh, on the top... uh, on top of uh, this, he turned his drugstore into a local chain with multiple locations that Remus owned, but uh, that, sorry, that he owned, but he still wanted more. Uh, when cons- uh, considering the other options, he thought about a career in law as a possibility because I guess he just didn't have enough letters around his name. Hmm. Uh, he had uh, needed legal representation on several occasions, and his attorneys were intelligent and respected in the community. With the same enthusiasm that had helped him attain his pharmacy license as a teenager, uh, he plunged into studying law, enrolling at the Illinois College of uh, College of Law. Yes, Casey. Oh no, pharmacy, optometry, law. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I've ran into these students before. I think we went to college <laughs> with somebody that does this. But it's so the uh, the primary source for everything seems to have been focused around like most I would say a good more than a third of the text of the book that uh, I sourced was focused around his law career and then legal encounters in the later years. So it led me to believe they sourced a lot from court documents, Hmm. but it is very well. noted about his legal career and after talking with someone who has studied law uh they said actually it is very much taught because he was you know very much in this scene (laughs) uh speeding through law school george managed to graduate in about 18 months a year Early from the program he had enrolled in, after graduation he in 1908, he sold his first drugstore uh, for $6,500 to raise the funds to open a law practice. I uh, guess he decided, you know what? Drugs aren't good enough. That's real, the real money is in law. It's on top of everything else. He only sold the original store. He still owned right. all the others, was still a practicing pharmacist, was still a practicing optometrist. I mean, if you if you need a prescription to get alcohol, who better <laughs> to get your prescription from might, might and fill your later. prescription? Might play in later. Uh, Remus directed his law practice towards criminal defense. Again, foreshadowing. <laughs> not five, not three foreshadowing you need a criminal 
lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly when capital punishment was on the line, he had adopted a deep hatred for the death penalty. He specialized in defending murderers and criminals. uh, The decision to become a courtroom attorney was a wise one. Juries found him spellbinding. When viewers, uh, when uh, viewed as a, uh, uh, sorry, compliment or an affront, he had uh, developed the nickname the Napoleon of the Bar uh, for his theatrics and possibly his stature. Uh, Napoleon was average height for his time and only like a roughly my height now. Uh, <laughs> it's the nineteen teens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 1915, Remus had built a practice into a thriving firm, not only defending high-profile criminals, but also mixing with some of the nation's finest legal minds. Uh, his personal life, on the other hand, was the exact opposite of his professional life. His detachment from his family had con- uh, continued into his marriage. He was rarely at home, spending most of his time at hotels, pre- quote, preparing, unquote, for cases, uh, while he was, in <laughs> fact, preparing. Uh, while he was prepping for cases, he was also uh, known to be spending a good deal of time with an enchanting younger woman named Imogene Holmes. Uh, by March 7th, 1919, George was divorced, but had already begun living with Imogene for some time. The same year, I uh, had seen the passage of the Volstead Act. This is the beginning of the Troubles. Uh, <laughs> the American oh, Troubles. <laughs> uh, prohibiting the manufacture and sale of alcoholic beverage. Uh, Remus saw an increase in caseload related to this after seeing many of his bootlegger clients accepting losses and paying fines and the wads of cash on the spot. He saw an opportunity and another career path. It does bear mentioning that George Remus was spare, uh, sparring against Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis in federal district court. And if you're unaware, Kennesaw Mountain Landis is a bad mother, I guess, effer. We're trying not to be too explicit. Uh, who may have something to do with the uh, infamous Black Sox endeavor in the uh, uh, in uh, uh, early baseball? And once again, getting us into the Ken Burns era. <laughs> also, like, what a great name, though. Like, so Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Yeah, like for crying out loud. He was the first commissioner of Major League Baseball. He was. Over seven feet tall. That is also of to be. Of course he was. And it, to, he was very much in with the Volstead Act and supported it and hated Remus. Hated him. He also so had 150 the, wives. <laughs> it got to the point to where if Remus walked into the courtroom, he just said guilty, hit the hammer. <laughs> like he did not care. He wouldn't let Remus open his mouth. <laughs> they hated each other. Uh. And that's just like, like no, all that's I know like is the first one of these points where all these historical figures somehow of the time are just revolving around this man. All I know is he shot the finger off Shoeless Joe Jackson, <laughs> who then went on to become the great Elvis Costello. <laughs> oh, Jonathan Colton. I'm trying to I'm trying to get this taken down for uh, for singing too much. <laughs> I don't think you'll get close to that. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, 
Remus uh, first dipped his toes in the world of bootlegging in Chicago by forging whiskey license, but he got busted. Some believe this is a catalyst for him moving to Cincinnati to avoid arrest, but according to George, it was because 80% of the bonded whiskey in the country was within 300 miles of the city. So he had seen, yeah. like, he, he had his plan watching everyone come through court. He was defending them, all these two-bit idiots. You can find a lot of great quotes that he had about the people he was defending. <laughs> they were not intelligent, and he immediately looked at it, and with his knowledge of the pharmacy industry and what they were doing and what they spilled to him, he could see, like, the clear path in front of him. It, Look, it if you see the 1920s version of Breaking Bad, if you see a lot of dealers in front of you, you eventually start realizing that, wow, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I'm not saying that from experience because we don't know what my job is. <laughs> right. Don't we think? All right. So, uh, Remus had built a small fortune uh, while he lived in Chicago, but his work with bootleggers, with bootlegger after bootlegger, almost compelled him to consider a new life. Because as uh, you may have caught on, he always wanted more. <laughs> if these simpletons could make untold He money, wants it all. <laughs> he wants it all. He wants it could now. make untold money selling illegal liquor then perhaps he could bring in millions using his intelligence and grasp of the legal codes related to the new amendment. Late in 1919, this is a quote directly from him, I made my decision to quit the law and go into the whiskey business. I closed out my practice and sold my real estate and had a total of about $100,000. That'd be $1,367,000 in today's cash and went to Cincinnati. Early on, Reeves yeah. declared that he would supply all of his own whiskey and he would only sell the best. And it is also worth mentioning, he considered Kentucky whiskey the best. Well, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> it is it is objectively better than whatever whiskey you're drinking. <laughs> it's better than whatever whiskey I'm drinking. This was not made in Kentucky. It was made in Indiana. But that's neither here nor there. I think mine was Kentucky. I don't think I can get the Indiana version. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> All right. Uh, the first step for George uh, was to secure a steady source and supply of whiskey. He purchased directly from the distilleries. That is to say, he purchased the distilleries. Not only did this <laughs> That's give pretty direct. Him, <laughs> yeah. Not only did this give him the means to produce whiskey, but access to warehouses of aging whiskey that had been made before the Voltset Act. Remus purchased By the a way, host... uh, I'll just say real quick, the, the you know, the, the, the 100,000 is like 1.3, whatever. If you had, you know, whatever, you know, like $100 in 1929, 1930 money, at that point you are literally just walking around like that scene in Euro Trip where you're just like, oh, I love yeah. the exchange rate! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that I didn't put it in here, but it's worth mentioning because uh, the numbers won't make sense to you if I told like when you say okay he walked he came to Cincinnati with like one point three million dollars, he immediately put that in the bank and opened up basically unlimited lines of credit with that money down, 
like the bank was like, yeah, you can go do whatever the hell you want. We'll we'll front you with that money down. We'll front you with whatever you want to do. Keep that in mind for what he's getting ready to do. I'm actually pulling up an inflation calculator. Just kind of. I use an inflation calculator to run these numbers. Uh, look, and it's it's perfect because the U.S. inflation calculator does not start before 1913. You know when income taxes yeah. started. But uh, not only did this give him the means to produce whiskey, but access to the warehouses of aging whiskey that had been made before the Volstead Act, Remus purchased the host of distillery, distilleries outright, estimating about eight that he owned as an individual solely and entirely. <laughs> there were also three to six more plants or warehouses he owned, about a third to half interest in the operations. Remus's buying spree began with a local operation, the Fleshman Distillery in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. He paid about $197,900 for the land, building, it's and about, it's about th- It's about $3 million today. And for the 115 barrels of whiskey that were on property, he bought another 3,000 barrels from storage in a separate deal for $150,000. Uh, about two point three million. Literally, right. have it up. I, I know the site well. <laughs> well, each <laughs> barrel. We're, let's let's crunch the, crunch these numbers. Each barrel contained about forty five to fifty gallons of bourbon, meaning the last purchase unleashed roughly one hundred and thirty five thousand gallons of illegal liquor into the nation's bloodstream. The breakdown of value would uh, goes about three gallons siphoned into bottles, making a case. In the early days of Prohibition, cases sold on a floating scale of 60 to $125 per case. So the street value of the stored whiskey alone, keep in mind he now possessed the facilities and ability to just make more. <laughs> but the stored whiskey alone at the Fleshman Hall would have been 4 to $5 million. Nice. Sorry, I was, th- I was thinking at a different part of that. That's in. That's not in today's money. Like, if you want to do the inflation calculator on four oh, to five yeah. million dollars. Uh oh, I missed a zero. Uh, sorry, it was seven million. I was like, that can't be right. I'm I'm a, I'm a zero short. That's a seven hundred at seventy six million nine hundred and four thousand six hundred seventy eight dollars and thirty six cents. Jesus. And at this point, it's just buying at, land. at most. He's buying land and buildings. He, that's, like whatever that's, happens that's, to that's be Disney, in them. <laughs> that's Disney World money. That's that's buying up <laughs> Swampland. Yeah, to them because so you have all these distillery owners who like Volstead Act just passed, and this is an amendment to the Constitution. They're like, we're never coming back. This is done. So he's scooping it, like coming in and just like they're just like, all right, you want it, you can have it. <laughs> But in a race against government agents, some properties were purchased sight unseen. And a quote, I never saw, is a different facility, I never saw the Friedberg and Workham Company, Remus later claimed. But he knew the primary reason for buying it. Another quote, they had 14,000 barrels of liquor in there, which translated <laughs> to about 560,000 gallons of liquor, which would gross upwards of 18 to $23 million on the open market. Wait and hear that calculator. Uh, sorry, I, I I'm gonna get, I'll give I'm gonna get you the high end because that's more impressive. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you can buy a car. 
<laughs> you can be you can be the Oprah of liquor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's three hundred and fifty-three million dollars. That's what Remus actually three hundred fifty-four million. So one great obstacle stood in the way of his own legally purchased liquor, the Gauger or Gouger. I don't know how you want to do it. I want to say the Gauger, uh, but it was the federal official stationed at every warehouse whose job consisted of checking the supply and ensuring the safety of barrels, including tasting the product to certify that no one had replaced it with vinegar, water, or some other liquid to mask a theft. How, how do I get that job? That only existed during that during prohibition. Not yeah, we still have just saying honest. like if I were in that time, that's the job. <laughs> that was the dream job. Uh, when the gauger couldn't be bribed or replaced with someone on the payroll, they would have to sneak in and siphon the whiskey out two gallons a barrel and onto a truck, speeding away into the night. Remus had can, to steal you, his own whiskey. That like he had. Can you hired... just picture? Can you just picture hired people underneath a barrel of whiskey with like a a, a a you know rubber hose plugged into one barrel, like like sucking on one end, like they're siphoning gas, like, and then putting it into another one. Like, okay, here we go. That's that's how it worked. Like he had his own. Like that's the other thing to look at here. He was only the only thing he ever stole was from himself when it came to the liquor. When, uh, the other part we're going to get into. Another portion of the operation, this is where he really hardcore broke the law, uh, was obtaining the legal certificates to extract the liquor from his own warehouses. Well, he yeah, I was going to say, because <laughs> at that point, like he's just like, yeah, no, I was robbed. I'm not going to press charges. But yeah. now we're into. So to, for the whole operation to work, he did like he was doing it. Also, he was doing a legal side of it. Like a portion of the operation was completely up and up, and then the other, the main portion of it was him stealing from himself. But um, so to get the legal certificates, hmm. the the whiskey certificates, he would employ every tactic to get these from bribing officials, counterfeiting, or even buying them on the black market. Better call but, Remus. <laughs> Because the the prohibition officers who were the only way to get these, like those government officials, were corrupt in and of themselves and just selling. Yeah, these I was going to say the there's market. Well, of course, yeah. There's no way those guys aren't more corrupt than the people that are trying to actually, you know, sell illegal liquor. And it's hmm. I, I guess this is a good point any to mention it because I, I don't think I put it in the script. He spent a half half of all the money he earned. On bribery, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> for that time period, for or for that that was the major era, like yeah. that he br that's how this worked. He bribed everyone, <laughs> like seriously, everyone in Ohio, everyone in Kentucky, and most of Washington was bribed into the ground. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. But yep, uh, that's so how it created, works. Created wholly fictitious drug stores and pharmacies. <laughs> that could uh, apply to fill prescriptions along with operating legitimate brick-and-mortar locations. He went as far as having addresses secured for these shell storefronts and actual products on trucks just circling from location to location to give the appearance of business as usual. Uh, well, we had we talked about in our Prohibition episode 
many moons ago, episodes, I should say, uh, the uh, there there were in the area he's working in doctors who were essentially giving out uh, what would today be your weed card. Yeah, <laughs> love just that. like here you go, just you know take uh, take two shots of whiskey and don't call me in the morning because you'll be hammered. So yeah, this is like where he used his insight and he opened pharmacies and drugstores in and around Cincinnati or further than that even. But uh, he couldn't use his name and he couldn't be the one to do it to not draw attention. So Imogene uh, comes back into the story here. They got married as soon as they moved to Cincinnati. That They had to cross the river to Newport, which was, as everyone in Newport will let you know, the Las Vegas of the time. <laughs> Fair. Never seen such a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Pretty much. This, so side, of, this side of the Mississippi, at least. Essentially, like, if you, you were in Chicago, you saw this disgraced lawyer suddenly run off to Vegas and get a quickie, quickie wedding with his secretary. <laughs> is what Vegas like is too far. Yeah, Vegas is too far. Just just hit a... Go down to Newport. Yeah. Don't go to Reno. Go to Newport. That's, that's yeah. But Imogene <laughs> Although that said... Face. I just want to say, that said, how were the Kentucky... Divorce laws not so strict. You were just coming there to get the wedding. I mean, I mean, I guess I'm just saying, like, like <laughs> at the time, that's 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 why Reno has its name. Like, that's that's why people will kind of remember it uh, from that period of time because they had the the laxest divorce laws. In addition mm. to being the the pre the the precursor to gambling that Las Vegas stole. Mm. I ain't knowed. But Imogene was the face of that side of the operation, usually applying for business licenses under fake names. Some of those fake names were known names to the boards that she had to get in contact with, so they knew if they heard that name, it was a Remus operation, and to just rubber stamp it through. Because when he bribed them, he bribed them with a certain name, and they heard that name and just said, approved. <laughs> I want to point out, uh, uh, there's a there's a book... Where, if you are familiar with uh, crimes that that occurred in Kentucky in the 1980s, you may be aware of Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Uh, there's a book called The Bluegrass Conspiracy, and there's a lot of this that sounds very familiar. In the same way that all drug stories are the same story. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, these false storefronts stretched from New York all across the Midwest. Uh, Remus referred to this entire process as the circle and it's why he was considered like it's how he was able to grow this so quickly and he was considered the rockefeller of prohibition of illegal booze because he had a business he had a legitimate business plan to corner the market and no one else had the <laughs> inside knowledge say, he had coming into this chris you can't say legitimate business without well, twirling your mustache yeah, legitimate <laughs> business. But uh, you may so, scratch your head and wonder how he avoided, you know, like stepping on toes because you've got Capone operating in Chicago, all the big dogs up in New York. He supplied them. That's yeah, to say, he, that's, he operated that's, this this portion of it. He did not sell directly to the, you know, to the street level. He just, he sold it to other bootleggers and he, was, he washed his hands of it then. 
That's a, he said he but would the, sell them the best product he possibly could, and if they watered it down and whatever they did with it after the fact, he didn't know. He didn't care. Look, the cartel so, system works for a reason. <laughs> even if you are not familiar with Cocaine Bear yet, you may be By the familiar. Way, I really suggest that book. It's real fun. You may be familiar with Elizabeth Banks. Who's in the Hunger Games and I don't know, but yeah. So she has a new movie. She's coming in the Hunger in. Games. Yeah. So um, I was just looking at her IMDb, and that's like the biggest stuff on here. So yeah. I was just not looking Zach to see and what Mary really. Porno? No, not that a... one. Chris. Okay. Once again, we have spent entirely too much time together because I was about to say. I said that's a meet of like I see her in the Hunger Games and like wow I remember her making a fake porn <laughs> in a Kevin. See, Smith I was also going to go with I was also going to go with Scrubs because she's in the yep. oh, yeah. eighth, Doc. seventh, seventh and eighth season of Scrubs. Doctor Kim Briggs. Yes, two thousand six, two thousand nine. Sadly, I think it's pitch perfect. Uh, but anyway, yes. Yes, she has a new movie coming out that features Cocaine Bear. Wait, yeah. like the stuffed cocaine bear that died in Tennessee, or the Kentucky? No, it died in. Te- uh, okay, it may have died. In, it may have died in Kentucky. Yeah. The guy who died jumping out of the plane died in Tennessee. <laughs> and I may know you someone. You want to know more about some- that story? <laughs> Let's do. Okay, okay, we will talk about that in post show because yes. I may know more about that story than. More about Cocaine Bear in the post show, uh, and you can go to our Patreon if you want to listen to the post show, or you can tune in on Twitch and catch it, and maybe kick some of them Bezos bucks. But I do have to clarify. You're right, Bob. Knoxville, Tennessee. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I was like... Post show. No, it's fine. No, 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 no. Chris, never stop anyone from telling me that I'm right. That is my cocaine. (laughs) All right, well, uh, another part of the circle uh, being after procuring the illegal booze, Remus would utilize his own trucking fleet to move the product. His fleet included bulletproof armored vehicles that could deliver 325 cases each, the vehicles costing him on the low end $16,000 a piece in, you know, 1920s dollars. Those, no, that's a fun. real expensive vehicle because a traditional like milk delivery truck was like seventeen hundred bucks. Those armored vehicles would move the liquor to one of the four main distribution complexes he had established surrounding Cincinnati. One operating uh, out of Hamilton, Ohio, would become a scaled down version of Vegas of the time, despite Newport wanting to hold that title. <laughs> uh, small scale <laughs> buyers would come to Hamilton. Where they could sample the pro- this would be like other small area bootleggers. This wouldn't be like the Capone level or anything. They're just like, you know, one truck operations. But they could come and sample the product and stay on and gamble and have a little fun. So he could, you know, rake some more money in from them. The more notorious location, located in West Cincinnati, was a farm that had been retrofitted into a bottling and production works known as Death Valley. They got the name Death Valley because. Uh, it uh, every inch of it down the long country road <laughs> was patrolled by hired gunmen twenty four seven. Some of which were mounted police units he had paid off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bandits Look, and other you, bootleggers. You, I was going to say you don't have to have a, a 
they're the hired policemen and they've got, you know, oh, every inch of the plate. It's fine. You can just shoot whoever you want. If you if they're the cops, no one cares. It's like literally, that's what they said, like literally the outhouses had gunmen on the roof. <laughs> like every square inch was covered with guns. But it's still, like the thing, it still looked like a farm. Like they were running mm-hmm. all of this like in the the top loft of the barn and in the attic of the house and they had bribed the farmer who lived there to keep up appearances that it looked like a working farm. But yeah. they were actually Again, just tune into the post show for how all all drug stories and contraband stories are the same story. <laughs> but bandits and bootleggers would sometimes attempt a raid at the farm, but no successful venture had ever been recorded. At least by bootleggers. <laughs> Even hidden away in rural southwestern Ohio, Remus and his gang could not remain a mystery. He had drawn too much attention to himself, and, it opera- and for the operation over time, federal government had begun creating an, uh, an enforcement infrastructure to tear down the illegal booze network. Agents had tapped his phone at his favorite downtown hotel, where he had a room on reserve. He may have had every local official at every level paid off, but he had drawn the attention of many from far away. On October 23rd, 1921, federal prohibition agents from Indianapolis and Chicago raided Death Valley. Remus was later arrested and eventually indicted on 3,000 violations of the (laughs) Volstead Act. (laughs) They didn't have computers back then. How did they count that high? (laughs) 3,000 violations. 3,000 violations. I don't even know what the violations are now. <laughs> the Bourbon uh, King. Going, if Kennesaw Mountain Landis had had this one, he'd be like, we're going to just go ahead and pass over reading all these. I don't have time today. <laughs> yeah. I don't have time today. I'm just going to shoot you and call it guilty. We're done. The Bourbon King was rescued by the Bourbon Queen. Imogene stepped in, paying $90,000 in bonds to get the gang out of jail. It's worth mentioning at this point, Imogene did take an active role in parts of the business. We mentioned before that she was helping buy the certificates, but she knew how the rest of the business worked, at least. She had a partial, you know, some fingers in those pies, and that kind of helped out. Well, sort of. By the way, that's uh, $1.4 million in bonds. Uh, also, uh, yeah, that's, that's why they would didn't, I, I assume it's been the same way in Kentucky for a long time. Kentucky does not allow bondsmen. Yeah. So. Do we not? No, we don't. We don't have bail bondsmen. So we, you can be out on bond, but it's not like someone else's job to come hunt you down. I uh, swore. But they I've were, seen... like, this was in Ohio. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's in Ohio. A... Kentucky's a bell bond state. We can have bell bonds no. here. No, no, we can't. We don't have bounty hunters that are allowed in Kentucky. Um, well, yeah, uh, maybe not bounty hunters, but the bonds we have we have bonds where you can you can get out, but uh, like we don't have like specific bell bondsmen. But you, pay the, it like, you can't. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, like that, that's like my... federal people come. You, you have like court people come after you, or federals, depending on what it is. I'm pretty sure because I've been through Lexington and saw bonds 
Bell Bonds. Okay, Either actually, way, you know what? Uh, one, one, charges. no, we we've not. But uh, sorry, I was gonna say one, no, we've not. But we we abolished that in 1976. They may have had it then. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, it's to be mentioned that uh, with 3,000 violations of the Volstead Act, there was a substantial amount of paperwork, which did give a bit of time between the raid and uh, the crap hitting the fan. Hmm. Yeah, so George Remus was eventually given the maximum penalty two years in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary and a $10,000 fine. That's it. For 3,000 violations again, of the Volstead Act. maximum penalty. <laughs> Once again, kids, get involved in, in white-collar crime. That's the correct way to do things. There's no penalties. It's where the laws are made up and the points don't matter. Paid nine times as much to get bon- to get bailed out of jail yeah. than the actual fine. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so, that's, uh, he could have found that in his, in his couch. I was just thinking about this earlier today, not necessarily the 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 bell bond and all that, but the Getting into bootlegging. No, no, I've been thinking about about that longer. Um, That's yeah, no that 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 checks out. So Walmart, let's let's make Walmart the the object of this discussion. Please do. I go and steal from Walmart. People say you shouldn't do that. That makes prices higher for the rest of us. The federal government comes in and imposes a million-dollar fine on Walmart for some reason. Why isn't the philosophy the same? <laughs> Walmart just increases their prices and makes it more expensive on the rest of us. I Yeah. There's so much illogical crap. I don't, I don't even know. They're not going to absorb I, it. It just gets passed on. I may know some some uh, laws prevention people at Walmart, and I need to talk to you later about uh, how some of that stuff went. Well, um, I get some good stories. We've got some interesting tidbits coming that may have I can't remember if they got brought up in previous episodes. Hmm. Well, we'll um, find out. Before he was sentenced, Remus had begun to move his operation down to Louisville, Kentucky. But after fallings out with the established players, he instead attempted to move. On to St. Louis. That's your mistake. Yeah. Uh, he'd been put in contact with Lem Motlau. Is that how you say that? I don't know. Sure. Uh, the favorite nephew of Jack Daniels himself, who had inherited the distillery. Tennessee went dry in 1910, and Motlau had moved the operation to St. Louis in a last-ditch effort at saving the distillery. Remus had planned a year-long heist to subtract six gallons of whiskey from each barrel after becoming a third partner and replace it with water and alcohol to keep the proof up, but agents caught up or caught on and the heist was cut short. But huh. so he was a one-third partner. During Prohibition, George Remus owned a third of Jack Daniels. Like no one's surprised, really. Okay, hold on. Make sure I'm understanding this correctly. He had the plan to rob Jack Daniels and water the alcohol down. Yeah. To steal how the offer he had to take the whiskey out of the barrels, but they were watching the warehouses and he had to put make it seem like those barrels were still full of whiskey. Oh, okay. Same operation. So he had to 
he was only he was doing it more because before, like out of all the other ones, it'd be like two gallons or something that wouldn't you know be missed. But he was taking much more out of these because again, he's getting ready to you know he's facing down the law already. A bunch of his other facilities have gone under. He's he's under the knife now. Like he's gotta he's gotta get some profits. Yeah, and right. here's here's the kicker. They're basically doing a Solera. Yeah. Because oh, they're yeah, yeah, yeah. not okay. with water, but with like vodka probably or something else, like some other grain alcohol. And so I had they're just, just said cars, and so I thought you were talking about like a car make, not. <laughs> oh. No. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, right. The and the. That, that would have been released. Like the what was stored in the warehouse would have eventually been turned around and bottled as Jack Daniels after the repeal, mm-hmm. and sold again. So if I mean, in fairness, finds if Jack Daniels bottles, put one third of it into water, uh, sorry, it, it, if Jack Daniels put like you know more water in their bottles, would you really one? notice? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Well, Remus had run the clock out and was heading to prison, but his operations would continue. His lieutenants would run the day to the uh, would run the day to the day bootlegging operations with Imogene, of course, managing assets and the estate. Uh, Remus had paid his men so much that he never questioned their loyalty. But Imogene was another story. By the way, can you can can anyone else picture Imogene with like the uh, Oh, that's the televangelist wife from the 80s. Oh, Tammy. Hair. Yeah, the hair. Tammy yeah. something, isn't it? Yeah, it's Tammy... Whatever. So, for the time, I'm going to always say for the time now, because you can see pictures of her, and it's kind of like, well, I don't know if that description matches. But she Tammy was supposed Baker. to be the young temptress, just... Every man wanted her, and that George loved to flaunt her, as the opening of our episode may have indicated. Mm. (laughs) I have a lot of things I want to mention about that, but I don't think they're quite appropriate for the show, so let's move on. Oh, sure. Uh, In an attempt to ease George's mind, she showed him a secret bank account she had kept for a rainy day that had over $200,000. It had Which my a, wife it, would. It, it, it <laughs> however, had the opposite effect. Uh, Imogene had no job of her, or money of her own, but was completely taken care of by Remus. Uh, so a $150,000 pool. <laughs> Remus had routine... Uh, by, by the way, $200,000 is $3.1 million. <laughs> so either way... It, we're, we're, he, he caught on. She had been skimming off. Either way, no matter what had been happening, she'd been lying to him or stealing from him. Yeah. Was immediately okay. his takeaway. And the theme that was his takeaway. Like, what what her thing was, yeah, that was his takeaway. Her thing was, I have been saving what you put back. And he heard, I've been skimming off the top. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's a communication difference. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Remus had routine visits from Imogene who would keep him updated on the business but as his time behind bars drew closer to an end her visits grew more rare which frustrated George (laughs) in the dark about his business yeah I mean if you don't have your conjugal visits you get real frustrated (laughs) well conjugal visits and uh, as would later have been uh, revealed she would come in and scrub his cell out (laughs) Uh, good woman there um, (laughs) 
uh, in the dark about his business and relations with his wife becoming strained, he was anticipating his freedom when the day before release, he would be served with divorce papers. Uh, upon release, he was barred from returning to the Marble Palace and was fill, or filled in by his men that Imogene had become an, begun an affair with Franklin Dodge, a star prohibition agent who had busted the Savannah 4 bootlegging ring. Dodge had interviewed Remus while he was in prison in Atlanta and abruptly retired afterwards. It's suspected that he hung around at the prison and ended up uh, coming into contact with Imogene first at the prison. But whether he figured it out from Imogene or from Remus, he, he knew what was up. Yeah. Uh, so Dodge had discovered that Imogene held Remus's power of attorney over his estate and immediately moved in to seduce her. Dodge had and Imogene traveled all across the country spending Remus's bootlegging money. Upon release, Remus had informed or had been informed by anonymous underworld sources that a $15,000 hit had been put in on him. Or put out on him. Clearly, <laughs> no one was crazy enough to take up this offer. His men told him it was Imogene and Dodge, who were both terrified of what George would do to them when he discovered the affair. When Remus was finally allowed back into the Marble Palace, he discovered it was the same state as his business, stripped bare. Dodge and Imogene. By the way, uh, by the way, a a fifteen thousand dollar hit is. Uh... <laughs> Two hundred and thirty point uh, two hundred thirty one million uh two hundred thirty one thousand dollar hit. <laughs> it's like a, a math bot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I have the site open. I might as well use it. <laughs> I mean yeah. Um so Don And also and- thank you. I appreciate being called a robot. I for one welcome our new robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> Always be ready for that. Uh, Dodge and Imogene had liquidated most of his assets, and the money was gone. Remus countered Imogene's divorce filing with one of his own, based on adultery. Uh, Attempts had been made to settle the matter out of court, but all attempts fell flat. And during one such meeting at the palace, Imogene attempted to pull a pistol from her purse and shot George. But his men knew she kept it and seized it before she could even draw the weapon. She screamed in outrage and stormed out. Look, what I'm honestly surprised at is that he didn't try to draw on her. Right? So you got to remember. It's not the Old West, but still. He's very smart with the law. He's not dumb enough to do it. So all the buying, there were very few, like all the illegal activity, very little of it did he actually do himself. It was all done through lawyers and known associates and people like he very little did he directly do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you commit crime until he's like the jigsaw. (laughs) Sorry. Well, I mean, let's, let's keep going. We'll probably find out some fact where he is in fact, not the jigsaw of bootlegging. (sighs) Let's make their own drink, I guess. I, I don't know. On the morning of October 6, 1927, George was attempting one last face-to-face with Imogene before the divorce hearing. He was waiting outside her hotel for her to leave. Always a good sign, right? When she exited the hotel with her daughter smiling and laughing, it sent Remus into a rage. He barked at his driver to give chase to the cab they had entered. Follow that cab. 
Uh, noticing that the car sped through traffic behind, noticing the car speeding through traffic behind them, MJ knew it was Remus. The cab sped away into Eden Park in an attempt to lose him, but to no avail. George ordered his driver to run the cab off the road after both how, cars. How much do you have to tip a cab driver to tell someone to drive that car off the road? No, it was the twenties. Remus had one of his like one of his guys driving him. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Uh, sorry, I was, I was picturing them both in cabs when I heard follow no, that cab. She's, she's running and like going, holy crap, we're both going to die. You've got to drive. And Remus has one of his goons driving. He's going, no, ram him off the road. <laughs> the guy's By like, the way, right, you, you should really lot of money. <laughs> you should really watch that uh, Perry Mason show on, uh, on HBO. <laughs> anyway, continuing. We don't need to l- watch Perry Mason because... The writing here is just as good. Um, right, fair. <laughs> so, uh, after both cars came to a rest, um, the cab in the ditch and Remus is still in the road. Traffic halted on both sides of the scene. Imogene jumped for the car and attempted to flee. But George seized her by the wrist, pulling her close. And this is where the, the writing comes in. Oh, don't hurt me, Daddy. You know I love you. Don't do it. Don't do it. She begged for her life. This isn't just like riding. This is like there were dozens of witnesses. Like yeah. this is exactly what happened. <laughs> Which also, is also don't trust anyone that tells you to call them daddy <laughs> if you're in a relationship. That's yeah. that's that should be a red flag. That should mean we should stop. We should <laughs> we should. I'm not going to kink shame. Um. Yeah, but don't trust anybody that calls you in anger, you degenerate mass of clay. Take also this. fair. <laughs> Look, I'm not king shaking shaming Casey. What I'm saying is they have some weird incest things. Mm-hmm. Remus bellowed as he shot her in the belly. Later, he confessed that it made him sick, but he looked her straight in the eye when he shot her. Imogene managed to stumble away, crying, George Remus shot me. Take me to the hospital quickly. Oh, no longer daddy there. Uh, This was all playing out in rush hour traffic with dozens of witnesses. One man managed to come to her aid. You get gut shot. That's that's a long, festering, you're going to die wound. Well, so that's, uh, I didn't write it in here, but uh, the autopsy report, uh, so George later in court said he shot her three times, but the autopsy report said it was on everyone else only heard one shot. But that's another was... thing that plays into his thing later. He thought he shot her three times, but in fact, he only shot her once. But they said the wound looked like she had been shot five times, oh. like because the bullet oh. just started ricocheting around inside of her. Jesus. Oh, because see, I was going to say, actually, that like. That might still hold physically because I was thinking that he would have pulled like a Derringer, like a, a small, like twenty-two round, small one-shot kind of pistol. I don't that was think he kind carried of... something that that. Flashed. No, uh, well, it was the most. I'm just saying, it's the most popular gun for that day. Is why I was. Mm, uh, point. Point taken. And and a twenty-two round would bounce around in their insides like it's a pinball. So. Mm-hmm. So one man came to Imogene's aid, uh, helping her um, to his car, and they sped off. Meanwhile, in the commotion, George's driver panicked and fled the scene. George ran off into the woods, blood still on his hands, to the other side of the park. He managed, though, to flag down someone who had no clue what had just happened. Uh, Remus turned himself in after a misunderstanding (laughs) in which his ride attempted to take him to the train station after he asked for a ride to the city station. 
he held a cab to take him to the police station after finally making <laughs> it to his destination. That has okay, to be reiterated. Hold on. He, had, he like, went this to guy... the police station with blood on his hands. So Literally. He, like... he, he's going to turn himself in, and then a guy lays the out in front of him, takes him to the train station. He could have like on... that. He could have just taken a train and just been gone from town right the, then. This is literally the time. Of, this is literally the 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 like period of time where he could have done that. He could have laid low out in like Utah, like got on a train and just went somewhere west, and they'd have never found him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know how this ends up. I don't know what happens to the rest of this. But this is also a guy that we're talking about who thinks he owns the police pretty much. I mean, he's bought uh, off, fair. I'm sure, a good number of them. So, you know, he does what he has to but, do to make himself look right, but good. He's, he, right, but he's just out of prison. He <laughs> now, now, he may think he owns enough people, but I don't think he... Mm. Everyone's on. Like, know everyone, like if, everyone knows if I was that guy, now. yeah, if I was that guy, I'd get on that train. And you and go, he's not been bribing people for a couple of years now. While he was in prison, like he wasn't, his bribing wasn't to what it used to be. He doesn't have the money to bribe at the way he used to bribe. I don't know what year this is, but I'm assuming he. It's probably a few. It's probably like. It could be 27. Uh, prohibition didn't happen until 29. Be hmm. 37, maybe. 1927, Volstead Act was passed in 30, no, no. Uh, 19. Yeah, you're, you're right. I'm thinking. I'm yeah. You're right. I'm thinking of the. Uh, I'm thinking of of the the stock market crash. Mm, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Never mind. That checks out. Still, go to go to Utah. Go to, you know, Montana. They'll never find him again. Yeah. So anyway, he's so, trying to turn himself in. <laughs> Uh, after finally making it to the police station, Remus marched into the desk and blurted out he had just killed his wife. Imogene had been rushed, rushed to Bethesda Hospital where she died in surgery. You accomplished what you set out to do, the chief detective informed him hours later. I feel like that's a line still used by cops today. Um, <laughs> like something it's very, very much similar go to Go ahead that. and incriminate yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Remus calmly shrugged and said... She who dances down the primrose path must die on the primrose path. I'm happy. This is the first peace of mind I've had in two years. Dang. That's ice, ice cold. cold. Uh, it's cold as uh, ice. Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, the uh, man, again, turns himself... I, uh, that has to be like the lawyer thinking, like, all right, if I turn myself in, I can get like, you know, ten years off rather than them finding me and by you know through some some random mix up. Well, but, see how it plays out. <laughs> so uh, bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> let's see if it plays off. So turns himself in, admits to murder. Next day, pleads not guilty. George would represent himself in the trial against prosecuted attorney Charlie Taft, son of the ex-president and then Supreme Court Chief Justice William Howard Taft. Who would also be answering my next question. I was going to say, thank you for answering my next question, which was, wait, 
related to Taft. that of Taft. the Cincinnati W-H. Tafts. <laughs> of the Cincinnati Tafts? Uh, <laughs> Remus had a few sleep tricks up his sleeve, though. After all, this was his kind of case. He specialized uh, in back in Chicago, so he knew what he was doing uh, to a certain extent. I, I guess he knew what he was doing when he shot and killed his wife, too. Uh, in fact, he had a clone case where he had attempted to get his client off by pleading temporary insanity. It hadn't worked. I mean, let's, but... let's, not, let's not talk about what, what sort of sexual favors he did for his clients. <laughs> Uh, his temporary insanity plea hadn't worked, but with his own life on the line, George would pull out all the stops. He had turned himself in, admitted to authorities that he had shot his wife with her blood still on his hand, had dozens of witnesses, and was found, of course, not guilty uh, by reason of temporary insanity. He had turned everyone against Imogene with one of the jurors even commenting, uh, commenting, Miss Remus got what was coming to her. The jury had only deliberated for 19 minutes, so pretty much a, uh, a, a grand slam case there. Remus spent a short time in a Lima, Ohio asylum and was released by an appeals court. Oh, Mio, oh, Mayo, oh, Lima, Ohio. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, so he played it. He did not buy off the jury. He played him. He played them like a oh, yeah. fiddle hard. Yeah. He greeted every juror every day of the case. By like as they walked in by saying individually to each one of them, I'm sorry we had to meet under these circumstances, mm. and just, like he played it hard. That's that's pretty good. Like, not gonna lie, that's it's real good. I mean, rich guy got a lot of of uh, kind of like that upper upper. Uh, Upper up class, I guess. I don't know. Um, uh, not that, upper middle that, class. That, that middle upper to upper class yeah. like, like thing. But like he, he he had to work, so like he knew enough to kind of like play down to the to the working man. Roman, the plebs. So yeah, worked for for his favor for sure. Um, thank you. Meanwhile, Franklin Dodge had disappeared into hiding. For many years, it was assumed he had taken off with the millions from the Remus estate since they can never be accounted from from Imogene's accounts. Despite having his empire plundered, Remus did not spend the rest of his life broken and downtrodden. Remember when Imogene had revealed her secret account? After that, George had been directing his personal secretary, the position Imogene had once had, in selling off property and hidden assets while he was in prison. In 1930, George Remus married his former secretary, and the two moved to Covington, Kentucky, living a quiet life. George would suffer a stroke in August of 1950 and would end up in the same hospital Imogene had been taken to. George Remus would die at home with his third wife in 1952. He was 73 years old. He is buried beside his third wife at the Riverside Cemetery in Falmouth, Kentucky. Wow. That's a uh, small town. Um, in today's money, Remus built a bourbon empire of some five to seven billion billion dollars in just two and a half years. That's the thing to remember. He like he built all that in less than two and a half years. Yeah. Wow! 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 I'm 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 trying to figure out where where Falmouth is. Falmouth is is on, it's on twenty seven. 
I was gonna go down there. In the there. middle of freaking nowhere. I still want to go down there. Maybe this week. I want to go get pictures. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's it's off. It's it's not near seventy five. So okay, no, if, no. if you detour it off to twenty seven, you can get up there. <laughs> so they have a uh, pretty cool fall festival, scary like haunted hayride type thing. Oh. They have a wolf. No one has a it's cool. No one has a cool haunted hayride thing, Casey. Don't you lie to me. <laughs> I think that's the one that you can like shoot paintball guns at zombies. No, that's... no, they have that in Lexington. But Falmouth has a wool festival, which is still it sounds cute. Honestly. And the nope. whole town's hooked on opioids. Like I'm not even gonna like <laughs> halfway cut that dry. Chris, you For, said with Kentucky. Our company, a lot of the, the drivers whole... have the. <laughs> huh? You said Kentucky. The whole, most of the state is hooked on opioids. Well, <laughs> that town is just like riddled with it. But I want to make it, I want to get down there to go visit the gravesites. I'm like, we have this historical figure buried like right there. <laughs> and, and like everything else from this time period is gone. Despite like I mean, the Art Deco architecture being like one of the claim to fame of Cincinnati. Everything surrounding Remus is gone. The Marble Palace is gone. Like all this stuff is wiped from the map. No, and, and uh, honestly, Chris, if you need someone to come with you on that, I, I'm your Huckleberry. Because <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that just sounds pretty fun. There One are more two, reason for you to move up here. There are two real good sources. Um, I pulled most of this from. There's the Prohibition documentary, uh, the Ken Burns Prohibition documentary. And uh, um, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's your better source. Well, no, uh, the most recent source. Uh, actually, it's the most recent. I didn't say most recent. Out. I said better. <laughs> the most recent uh, source is uh, the Bourbon King or the Bootleg King, The Life and Crimes of George Remus, which is where I pulled a lot of this from. Uh, that book was published in 2019. And it's mainly like it focuses on the courtroom stuff. So that's I was like doing a lot of skimming through court cases, and it carries on because the papers loved Remus, and I, I think <laughs> I already mentioned yes, he referred to himself in the third person. The, I think they said roughly well, when he started bootlegging, and only when he talked about the business. That's so that's was, how you get to that 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 Gatsby ish, yeah, uh, kind of you know inspiration. He's gotta be paper worthy in order for someone. You know, wherever Gatsby was, was he in New York or was he in France at the time he wrote the great? Uh, sorry, Fitzgerald wrote the great, great wrote the Great Gatsby. So he was out of the country, I believe. So he was in France. Yeah. That was my guess, but yeah. Okay. Well. So yeah. Yeah, nice. George George Remus. Uh, oh, and to say if you so it's not to say that agreeing with the juror that uh, Imogene may have deserved it. Uh, no, Imogene was actually a con. Brittany, did you just do a well? Maybe she did. No, that was me. That was uh, that I, was. No, I said well, and I was like, yeah, no, she. So the book goes on. She it... did, but like every like this is the thing where you can't be like. <laughs> did she deserve to die? No. No, well, no. So like, yeah, the, that. But this is but the, did the she? The case did... where you're like, oh, this one per. There's no one villain in this. Is, yeah, is where Every, I'm going. everyone's Correct. awful. And again, yeah. like I was saying, it's everyone Breaking Bad. On the protagonist is awful. Yeah. But to say Imogene, so she lied from the beginning. That's the the book outline. I think it opens with Imogene's lies. So she was, she lied to George when they met, saying she was already divorced. 
She was not. She was still married. She didn't get divorced until right after they moved down to Cincinnati. Mm. <laughs> so he was believing that she was a divorcee. Was there and someone more recent than Andrew Jackson that I'm thinking of that had that same issue? Possibly. Uh, but No, probably also, not. She also lied about her age because he wanted a younger woman because there's all these quotes about, you know, having a younger woman with you was just the thing at that time. So he, she Ugh. lied about her age. She lied Daddy. about being married. And she was, uh, I think the best way to put it is, I ain't saying she a gold digger, <laughs> but she lied to she get out of her first marriage. She wrote editorials. She ain't messing with no one. To wrote, get out of her first marriage. She wrote editorials to local papers to lay the groundwork for having a sympathetic judge in her divorce case. This is before she even met Remus. Like, she just knew she was going to leave her husband. So she started making up editorials and th- these stories and selling them to papers about a, a wife being taken advantage of and being mistreated and her poor children and all this stuff. And it was the name she gave was just so close to her actual name that once like you would just immediately Rimmage. associate it. Pretty much something like that. No no not her whole family, not, she even admitted to her family that she was only going with George because of the power and the money. She wanted the power and the money. Wow. So and I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Was found, she was found guilty in like three or four different cases in Cincinnati before he killed her for stealing from him and all this stuff. (laughs) So again, devil's advocate. Like it was the 1920s. What else was she going to do to make money for a woman in her position? on On the one hand, I'm like, well done. You know, like she, she like I know what I want, and I'm gonna take it. On the other hand, it, and she took the. She <laughs> also was a horrible person. <laughs> like, I am not disagreeing with that. I'm she just was saying. Chris Lannister. <laughs> yes, that's that is correct. I mean, uh, <laughs> come at uh, me. She was her sister. Sans incest. <laughs> we don't even know that I know of. Maybe. You know. There's also another account in there. I mean, what, there's a better the, than average chance no incest. So <laughs> there, the adultery account, had there was a nail in the coffin for that as uh, they were staying, her and Dodge were staying at a hotel in Cleveland while Remus was in prison, and the cops got called for the racket they were making in the room. They were having such loud sex. <laughs> the cops got called, and then later in the trial, those cops got called to testify Again, <laughs> about Chris, it. And they, had, not, they, had, I, they had ID'd Chris, Dodge and Imogene. <laughs> Chris, this is for no one else other than you. You need to watch the new Perry Mason that's on HBO. I will give you my login. I don't care what you need to do to watch it. You need to watch it. Okay, are All you right. ready for this, Bob? Because... <laughs> Everyone's telling us to get back. The per- there's a, someone who's in that show, who's in another particular show that I've been suggesting that you watch for quite some time. And okay, <laughs> is this a tip for tap? Is, is the guy yep. is the guy in that in in Orphan Black? The girl, uh, T- Tatiana Maslany, who <laughs> plays the 
12, 13 characters, whatever it is, in Orphan Black, is in Perry yeah. Mason. And assumed to be She-Hulk. Yes. Okay, I, I've heard that part. Okay, oh, you guys continue on. We're going to, to, to oh, probably breaking sure. <laughs> but I need to figure out who you're talking about. Who's Tatiana? So it the whole story breaks down into a case of everyone playing everyone against everyone else, and it came down to literally the only people that could be trusted were the people that were paid off to such a ludicrous amount that they would never cross their boss <laughs> because they didn't. Like yeah. the book, if you want to dive into the books. Uh, in the Bourbon King, it comes like they they name and follow the life and careers of all of his major lieutenants. If you want to go through it, look the 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 loyalty money can bring is surprising. <laughs> Except when it came to Imogene. <laughs> I mean, not all that surprising, but it's still surprising. Like like on, on a number scale, it's like oh, it, is it ninety nine percent? No, it's like you know eighty five, but it's still better than average. All right, well we've uh, we've we've beaten this uh, this dead horse in yeah, Eden Park get, pretty hard. We need to get we need to get done. All right, let's uh, let's slip into what we're drinking. Drink with me, friend. Hey. Uh, Ignore the jaunty what? tune from the washing machine. If you can hear that, sorry. Uh, no, I can't. You're good. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Oh, you mean you weren't looking these up and putting them in there? No, that makes too much sense. Uh, no, you weren't, because I'm staring at a blank page right now. What yeah, were you guys drinking? Me and Casey need to know. All right, so a uh, local well, brewery I, yeah. in Cincinnati... 50 West, their barrel age series is known as the Remus Revenge series. And we were drinking a couple of beers from that. So we were drinking Death Valley Shootout, which is a bourbon barrel aged coffee stout. Now I have two entirely separate songs in my head. And I blame (laughs) you, Chris. That's usually my. Yeah. And we were also drinking the uh, Six Feet Under. From that series, which is barley a wine. bourbon barrel aged barley wine, also good. And like the whole series, they have a beer called the Marble Palace, and just like all these, they haven't brewed Marble Palace in a couple of years. Uh, but they also the most popular Bro, is, you in a couple of years. The most popular is um, the Ghost of Imogene, and I had a whole bunch of those, but they were infected, so <laughs> they ended up being drain pours. That's Here. yeah, just kind of man. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit funny, but also as a uh, 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 let me put it this way: knowing how how infected beers happen, or not necessarily knowing, but like like the odds of them happening, you're just kind of like, well, mared. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what saying ghost of Imogene. So that, I guess that's just like the reminder. Uh, Imogene is said to haunt Eden park. Uh, there's a gazebo now erected very close to the point to where he shot her. And many people claim to have seen there's a, a gazebo. In... Yeah. <laughs> the gazebo is in all the pictures. Like it's named as a point because the ghost, her ghost is said to haunt this gazebo. 
and you will see a woman in black in the gazebo, and when approached, she will disappear. Casey? Right. And Eden Park is lovely. Like, we should just go anyway, because it's a great place. But I yeah. just... I just... I don't know. And there's a whole other book on Remus and all these tales. I didn't read it, basically, because it's called uh, Ghosts of Eden Park, and that, mm. I'm like, that seems a little salacious, and playing in on the side of this that is not at all can be proven so i was like i'm gonna go with the one that's uh based on court documents casey mm-hmm. i need you to look at me <laughs> i need i need i don't need a gravestone any gazebo he needs a gazebo <laughs> i i can't get out just of my so head people can, just so people can look at look at their go a gazebo well it's, a gazebo is probably need. cheaper the gazebo is just part look, of like, it was I just look, part of the park. I'm trying to help you. Help me help you. That's not wrong. You're going to outlive me. The gazebo is just the park. It's not like a memorial to Imogene or anything like no, that. It just it's just there. Either. And people claim to have seen a ghost haunting it, and they're like, well, it's a woman in black. It must be Imogene who was shot there, despite having I died feel, miles away. I feel like the thought of an oompa band playing over your grave. Casey, I want nothing more. (laughs) Look, if that... That's that's still going to be less... That's that's going to be less than the gravestone. It will. Do this for me. It's not Uh, even... Okay, so the gazebo is not There's nothing around it. It's just like randomly off the side of the road. It's at an intersection. Not important. (laughs) Not important to what I want. (laughs) The gazebo I need is a gazebo and a oompa band, which is going to be cheaper than a, than a headstone. When my when my when my nieces ask, you say it's what he would have wanted. Okay, easy enough. Yeah, obviously. Okay. Anyway, did you finish what we're drinking? Yes. Okay. Six feet under <laughs> and Death Valley Shootout. Very good. Stuff. All right. Uh, the stout was really good, by the way. It was like a kind of smoky almost. Mm-hmm. I think I've got a maple version of it buried somewhere in the closet. Hmm. Uh, so I've got uh, a couple of things because uh, I was drinking a lot through this episode. Right. I don't know if you noticed. We all were. Yeah. We're... Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, first off, I had. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to type and talk and talk at the same time, and it's not working out as Pregnant as well pause. as I would like. <laughs> Never mind. Different joke I was going to make, and we're not we're not getting there. If it was any more pregnant, its water would have broke. <laughs> nice. All right, good job, Chris. Uh, first off, I've got the uh, uh, zero day from Street Side. Um, which uh, I just honestly, it, it's it's my holdover from uh, from our news episode, which you know you should check out. That's what I drink in news as well. Really? Yep. That's uh, that's weird that we 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 align <laughs> is, is quite weird? so well. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> um, Literally not at all. Okay. <laughs> we you know we are more or less the same person. It's fine. Um, but the, uh, which was a New England IPA from, uh, uh, from Streetside, uh, that you guys had brought down for us. And yes, uh, yes, Brittany, 
sure, that's that's close enough to get a gazebo I want. It's fine. I'm sure that's, that's cheap enough. There, so, yeah. Uh, uh, but it's uh, eight point eight point five percent ABV. Uh, it's pretty delicious. It's nice and sweet. It's what I expect of from a from a New England IPA. Uh, but that's not all I drank because I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Except I can't say alcoholic. Uh, Lens to the point, really. <laughs> right. We we go into the uh, the music video from uh, Little Big. I'm okay. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, if there was ever a video from Little Big that that summarized our lives, it's that one. <laughs> Anyway, I had the uh, Smooth Ambler from Old Scout. Uh, or, sorry, the Old Scout from the Smooth Ambler. I'm not entirely certain which one it is. It's an MGP one from, uh, so, whatever. 99% uh, ABV. It's still tasty. I don't hate it. I can't be, I can't get mad about the the, you know, conveyor belt method that's made. Whatever, I don't care. Um, yep. And then I finished it off with uh, one of my small bottles uh, that is now empty of uh, Buffalo Trace. Sure. So we've gone from uh, 8.5% ABV to 99% ABV to 90% ABV. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much explains this episode. So, uh, Casey, what have you been drinking? I am having... New Riffs, Single Barrel, Bourbon, one of the first ones that they released uh, back in 2018. Um, I had it in my uh, cabinet, but I had like two fingers left in it, um, so it was... Well, haven't you done well? Uh, it, it was... This was back when they first released, and it wasn't as good as it is now. They were... I feel like they were experimenting. And so uh, I'll say this: I don't have a single thing from New Rift on my shelf. So, mm-hmm. haven't you done well? I have. I've I've done well enough to keep this on there for four years, three <laughs> years. Um, so I think I have the same bottle that's been sitting uh, on my shelf for the same amount of time. Haven't you done well as well? <laughs> I think they're a you little guys different. feel better now. <laughs> this one is a good spirits. Uh, bottle pick or barrel pick um but either way uh 112 proof it is okay um i don't know if you can actually rate uh, we've got the ratings on there but i don't know if you can actually rate a uh a single barrel because uh, if, if you can rate a barrel pick that's yeah that's, that's where you're getting some weird granulation that's that's way too subjective yeah, so you know, if you find some of the newer stuff that New Riffs do and get it, um, the reason I did go with this was because it was as close as I could get to where George Remus would have spent the last days of his life. So um, it made my, sense. My answer was my answer was what whiskeys are almost empty. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that one worked with this too, because it was the last yeah. of it. I was able to finish it off, so that worked well that said we there there was some dealings remus had in indiana so maybe tangentially i got there i i actually almost went with um an mgp because the george remus named whiskey is actually made by mgp 
Yeah. So um, that was where I, I kind of looked at some MGP stuff too. I wanted I a bit of money for those. Yeah, we almost got that. I oh really? Yeah, it's like sixty bucks for the regular George Remus, and if you want the like uh, repeal reserve, it was like eighty bucks a bottle. I was like, I'm spending that much. I need something else. I have an optometrist friend who I always like to. He, he's just recently getting. Oh, into, do you now? Uh, I mean, I've got a lot of optometrist friends, but I worked in that industry. I mean, a whole lot. Of them lot. are also pharmacists and lawyers. None. One. <laughs> One. I mean, that's, One. That's, that's on him. Well, oh. his career path is pretty much laid in front of him there. Yeah, he's got to be a bootlegger. She, um, in that case. But uh, the uh, uh, this that that would be, a, I think, a good gift because I could give him the backstory of uh, this is a Kentucky guy, or you know, he came to Kentucky eventually, um, came over the, the the river, and then also an optometrist, bootlegger, pharmacist, lawyer, all these other things that make him kind of a cool guy, um, and kill his wife couple times probably yeah that that, that does make him a less of a cool guy <laughs> made untold fortunes for the time and uh probably great reason? gatsby yeah uh pushed about a third of the actual liquor through the country during prohibition like a third of prohibition liquor was from remus i feel like yeah man, that, that that would track um because I mean, his I reach was just a, a travesty. The Boardwalk Empire played him as like a schlocky character that everyone <laughs> just kind of rolled their eyes at. I mean, mm. does it played him? I can't remember. I've watched. Oh, a couple, I never, didn't watch the whole series, but the clips you watch, and I'm like, yeah, the whole referring to himself in third person is, oh god, it's terrible. Mm. The way they portray it, and I was like, I'm sure it had to have been awful in real life. Uh, no, that can't be right. Hold on a second. I at first the the very first time I saw his picture, I was like, "That's nah, not Norm Macdonald." Glenn Glenn Flusher. Hmm. If they, you they have a great, you can find the scene. They they filmed a scene for Boardwalk Empire of him getting busted, and it's him like running from room to room in the Marble Palace trying to escape the agents. <laughs> I look up that name and all I get is whiskeys. <laughs> George Remus or, or Glenn Falsher. Hmm. I mean, because the cl- uh, never mind. Uh, okay, fine. one one in versus two ends. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I think we are about done for the episode. I think this has gone on long enough. Indeed. Prohibition episodes tend to tend to last us long a long while. When you get into history, it's all over, you know. Prohibition did in there. So, um, I think it's worthwhile, even though you know I'm supposed to close out the recipe. Or the recipe. Um, I'm supposed to close out the episode here, or start closing out. I think it's worthwhile to talk about the next few episodes. We don't do that a whole yes. lot, um, as well mm. as uh, now that we've got the opportunity to. Um, as well as giving credit where credit is due. Thanks, Christopher Walker, Chris, for uh, writing today's Crystal show. Fair. Um, where did you get most of your resources from? Uh, the Bourbon the King, for, uh, yeah. The Life and Crimes of George Remus book. Uh, we need to link that on our little yeah. Amazon store and we our do. resources on 
on our page. Uh, you could do, also get do we? Because I, I I remember some complaints. You could also True. get Ghosts of Eden Park. Uh, that that's another book that's out there. I did not use that one, but that is another recent source. Um, you get, again, the Prohibition documentary by Ken Burns is out there with a lot of this stuff. That information's in there as well. Uh, and you could just go watch Boardwalk Empire for a comedic take on George Remus. I mean, fair enough. I've been meaning to do that. So not not for George Remus specifically, but you know. Let's be a good show. Yeah. So. Coming up here in the next few weeks, you can check us out um, on April 3rd for a liquor stall episode based off of aperitifs and digestifs. Um, on has begun. <laughs> that's, the, that's the beauty of doing two weeks apart is you do have time to research and get all the information that you need, which is nice. Well, we I, I thought I would have that. more time this week. I'm, I'm, don't I'm not going to lie. Yes. We gotta talk about that I, in I, post show. I thought I had more time this week. There, there was time. There was time, and then it wasn't. Uh, two, uh, two weeks after that, on April seventeenth, uh, we've got Trappists Part Two. Uh, we're going to continue the series over the next, uh, you know. Okay, year. hold on. Hold, hold, right the hell on. Why does it have Go West with Go Westphalian on there as a title? Instead of Electric Boogaloo, uh, that's right. It should always be uh, part two. Electric Boogaloo. Two is right? Electric Boogaloo. Three is with a vengeance, and then we start. <laughs> then we just and we just kind insert of title shoot harder. from the hip. Yeah. yeah. So part two is uh, Go West because it's West Vleteran and uh, West Mall that we'll be talking about in that episode. So two well, Travis breweries. Go West Electric Boogaloo, obviously. Go West, Go West Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, I'm going to pretend. I'm going to pretend that the Google Doc, the Google Sheets page I'm looking at does just not. Just cuts it off. <laughs> just cuts off. Yeah. It should say Go West Boogaloo Electric Bo- uh, yeah, Whatever. <laughs> and then uh, there it is. Uh, and then on May 1st, uh, join us on Twitch again, if you'd like, for the Flanders Red and Old Bruin episodes. In the meantime, though, you can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com like the sh- books that we mentioned today. Follow us at Have a Drink Show on social media and twitch.tv. Now, don't forget, you can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, leave some general feedback, smoke, smoke signals, uh, you know, carrier pigeon, if you have trained them to come to one of our houses. Uh, yeah, whatever message you want to give us, you can do that at feedback at haveadrinkshow.com or any of our social medias. Uh, or you can just use the feedback page on the website. We are always happy to hear anything, and we will try to respond as best we can. Yes, uh, we do not accept uh, messages in the form of shots to the gut, though. Uh, we do accept of... messages I in mean, the form of shots I'm... to the mouth. Yes. <laughs> All joking I mean, fun aside, like remind everyone to I please get, drink I responsibly. Get... <laughs> I, say, I got beat up a lot as a child. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well, check us out, as Casey mentioned, in another couple of weeks uh, for the next live episode. Once again, we would like to, like to remind <laughs> you, wow, to go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow, of course, to support us on the regular, but also haveadrinkstore.com. If you're interested in any uh, kind of inside joke, stickers, uh, phone cases, pillows, t-shirts, etc. 
Um, Sit. Feel good doing Bobland, Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I yeah. Ooh, okay. All right. <laughs> Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. <laughs> I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. Uh, I'm Case Price. We'll see you next time. Sorry to the Sarah Lane. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Holy hell, Casey. I hate this movie. <laughs>